0: You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. We're going to dive right back into Daniel chapter 2, where we left off last week, and where we ended things, Daniel was approaching the presence of the king of Nebuchadnezzar in order to tell him the interpretation of his dream, but first to tell him what his dream was. We remember this was a sort of test set up by the king, maybe because he distrusted his counselors. But at any rate, Daniel is approaching the king's throne. So let's just start by reading verse 27, because this is An interesting point that I wanted to make. Uh, Verse 27 says Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And then he launches into his explanation of the dream and and he tells the the king what the dream was. But I think it's an important point to make here that, first off, Daniel didn't steal any of the credit for himself. He makes it very clear that it's impossible for any person to know the things that the king was demanding. Um, And then Daniel, secondly, he doesn't fear man. And he doesn't try to endear himself to man. He didn't try to butter the king up or he didn't try to stroke his ego, you know, or tell the king what he wanted to hear. He's just honest and he tells him, it's not, you know, the secret doesn't belong to me. It it can't be told by any of these wise men, any of the astrologers, any of the people in your court. But there is a God in heaven and I want to give him the credit And I'm not trying to endear myself to you. I'm not trying to make myself look good. I'm just telling you honestly that God is the one who presents dreams and who guides and directs people. And that's what Daniel told him. So then we see that Daniel actually presents the dream. We're going to look at these verses here as we go. But that's going to be in verses 31 through 36. And then Daniel explains the dream in verses 37 through 45 and that gets us almost to the, the end of the chapter but as I just mentioned he makes it very clear that this is through the power of God through God's illumination God showing this prophecy because that's what this dream was this vision it was a prophecy and God showed it to Daniel as a result of Daniel's prayer to the Lord so let's start looking at these verses here. We're going to start in verse 31 and just read the description of this dream here. Very fascinating to read. This is one of seven visions that we're going to see in the book of Daniel. And there's a lot of things in this first vision that are kind of skipped over, not entirely explained, but we'll see a lot of these themes repeated and a lot more detail given as we go throughout all the rest of these visions. So buckle in because this is just the first one out of seven. So let's start reading in verses 31 through 36 and hear what this dream was. Get my Bible a little closer here. So verse 31, it says, Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. The great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee and the form thereof was terrible. Now that word terrible, it means to make afraid or fearful. So this is a very frightening thing. This struck fear into anyone who would have seen it. Verse 32, This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, the great thing about most prophecies in the Bible throughout Scripture is that we don't have to guess what they mean. Because, as we're going to see, these next verses describe and explain exactly what this prophecy means. And so it's very helpful for us and for Nebuchadnezzar. He was the one that was really wondering, he was torn up about what this meant. So, the first part, we're going to break it up following um, kind of a three point outline that John Phillips includes in his Exploring the Book of Daniel expository commentary. So, He breaks it up as domination, deterioration, disintegration. That's really what this dream is all about. There's domination at the beginning, then there's deterioration, then there's disintegration. So verses 37 and 38, here's his explanation. Uh, Well, verse 36, he says, this is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Verse 37, thou, O king, art a king of kings for the God of heaven. Hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory, and wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. So he starts to explain that the different materials, the different uh, parts of this image, this statue in his dream, represent kingdoms. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, as we've already mentioned here in this study, was one of the most purely totalitarian or absolutist emperors of all of history, and really no one before him had quite mastered the art of completely governing a political system by a single individual. That didn't come along until Nebuchadnezzar, until the Babylonian Empire. This was the head of gold. All the empires that came before him uh, were not quite as controlling, not quite as absolutist. And then those which rose up after him were more focused on quantity than quality. And their thirst for control over the entire known world at that point resulted in a less pure form of government and micromanaging. So really the Babylonian Empire, which rose to power after the Assyrian Empire and before the Persian Empire, was definitely the most monolithic world power that has ever existed. And this can be seen in the control that Nebuchadnezzar wielded over where his subjects lived. Nebuchadnezzar was known for moving his subjects or his conquered people to totally different geographic locations just to make them less threatening, just to control them. Um, just to kind of dictate where they would live. So he would switch complete demographics of people to different parts of his empire. They would basically just be shuffled around. So they would just be held at bay. So they would be taught to submit to his empire. Um, So basically, if you were a subject in the Babylonian Empire, you were pretty much just a piece of a massive jigsaw puzzle. That got mixed up and moved around on the surface of Nebuchadnezzar's empire. That was complete power that he had. We also saw his tyrannical side when he threatened to kill all of his counselors in this chapter that we're going through right now. So you can kind of sense that this man had pure control. It was the most pure, um, totalitarian, absolutist empire of all history. And that's what this prophecy tells us. But now let's start to see, as we go down the the image, the statue, the Bible describes the subsequent kingdoms as inferior. And that's also noted by the material that they're made up of. So let's continue reading in verse 39. It says, And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise? And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom that shall be divided. Uh, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be, in. In it of the strength of the iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. He says, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So we see kind of this description of deterioration um, and I'll just run through these we'll we'll see them in a lot more detail as we go through the other prophecies in this book but the the kingdom that comes to power right after Babylon is the Persian Empire and this is really significant for history. I mean none of this stuff had happened at the time when Daniel is receiving this prophecy he is in Babylon in the kingdom of nebuchadnezzar he's one of his his aides one of his uh his court counselors Um, so he didn't know any of this was going to happen except that god gave this king this vision and this is the interpretation so persia came right after they're the, the breast and the arms of silver then we have greece which is the belly and thighs of brass the Greek empire led by Alexander the Great, and they did conquer the world, just as this prophecy says. Then we have Rome. They're the legs of iron. So, you can notice the preciousness of the metals decreases as we go down the statue, while the overall strength increases. So, this is evident when we look at each of the first four empires in history. We can now as we look back on history we can understand that as they went along each one was inferior in excellence and purity and consistency as an empire but it was superior in strength and expanse Uh, so we got to Rome the legs of iron then we see the last one the fifth empire is the new world order which is the feet of iron mixed with clay and that final kingdom is Yet, future for us today. So it hasn't happened yet. It's partly strong and partly broken, verse 42 talks about. And so this will be some kind of new world order. It'll be a revived global Roman Empire of the last days. Um, And that's looming right on the horizon, but that's going to be really a continuation of the fourth kingdom, which is Rome. It's just instead of pure iron, it's iron mixed with clay. It's just weakened. And so then we get to disintegration. So let's read verses 44 and 45, which says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Forasmuch as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. So this is the disintegration of all the kingdoms of the earth. They're going to be overthrown by the Lord himself who will establish the the sixth kingdom mentioned in this prophecy, which is Christ's kingdom. It's not going to be ruled by someone else. No one will be elected to rule this. Christ himself is the rock carved without hands. He's going to destroy man-made kingdoms and power, and he's going to become a mountain. That's the kingdom that God's going to set up. It's going to shatter and consume all earthly power so we can remember that God is in control and we have nothing to worry about because the Most High ruleth. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect and it's everything you need to live for Him.